Quickly, before we get into some questions, just want you all to introduce yourselves. So who are you? How long have you been married? Um, how long have you been a member at the church? Uh, do you have kids? How did you meet your spouse? What's your occupation? These kind of things. So kind of have to be somewhat quick with it. But we'd love for you all to do, just do introductions. So Gaddies, will start with you all. Okay. I'm Amy. This is Michael. Um, I've been a member here for 13-ish years. Along. I became a member in college, which was probably about right. 13 years ago. Yeah. Um, Michael has been a member technically since about 20 years. About 20 years, but he actually is born and raised in this church. Um, we met in school and college. We've been married 10 years, but I think we're the newlyweds, the group, which is pretty cool. Um, we have three kids, and what else? Do, uh, occupation. I actually stay home with the kiddos. I homeschool one of them. I guess, in theory, I educate all three of them, but formally one of them. And I'll let you tell about your job. Cause yeah. <clears throat> I uh, work where I get paid is at a local company here called Field Agent. Um, we're, we're a local startup, and so I've been there about approaching nine years already, which is crazy, uh, and, and also an elder here at UBC. Great. So, Brad Wheeler, I think most of you at least see me, though I don't know all of you. I've been here about three and a half years. Uh, became a Christian when I asked her out on a date in junior high, and she said no and gave me a Bible. And uh, there's a longer story to that. Um, but uh, that's how I eventually came to faith, and we've been married 20 years, four kids. Yeah, uh, I, yeah homeschool one of mine, three are out of the house, homeschooled them, now they're, they're out in high school. Um, I'm a registered nurse, uh, do all kinds of different things, love discipling women, teaching the Bible, etc. cetera. Uh, my name's Howard Hamilton. Uh, been a member here for only 32 years. <laughs> uh, and we've been married for 44 years. Uh, we have two sons and two and a half grandkids. <laughs> we have, we, we have uh, a little boy. He's here with us today. For, this is his second time to come to church with us, so we're glad he's here. And then a uh, granddaughter in Dallas, and she's getting ready to have a little brother, uh, my first. So... Uh, I am a retired banker, uh, was in the banking business for a long time, um, and been in the business world uh, since I graduated from college. And we have, we have certainly been faithful members here. Uh, the church, we have seen many, many changes in the church over the last 32 years. I'm Treva. I don't know if he introduced me or not. I was listening to all the points that I was going to maybe need to cover that he didn't. Um, <laughs> but um, I work full time. I worked full time from the time we got married and even while our boys were growing up in high school and college. And I've been retired for seven years from the Fayetteville Public Education Foundation. Uh, I raised private funds for the Fable Public Schools, for teacher grants, and, and by trade, I'm a speech pathologist. But my ministry here at the church has been uh, the senior ministry, um, SALT, we call it, Senior Adults Living Triumphantly. 
So you have something to look forward to there. (laughs) (laughs) Triumphant living finally comes at about 65 or so. No, it never comes. But anyway, and then I work at Second Mile. This is the first time just in the last six months or so this year that I've been, when I've been off work, where I could, you know, uh, contribute to that ministry. I love that. And um, I work with the Moms Connection. So enjoy that. And I said I was retired, but my full-time job is chairman of the elders here, so. Praise God. Thank you all so much for being on the panel. It's wonderful to have you. Um, So last week, if you were here, Stephen Martin, one of the elders of UBC, uh, gave a biblical theology of marriage and kind of laid a framework and just a foundation for marriage. But Brad, I just want to start with you, just kind of in a summary form, short, succinct, to the point, what is marriage, what's its purpose, and how does the world often... Uh, read, try to redefine marriage. Yeah. Out of curiosity, who was here for this conversation last year? Okay, <laughs> this is good to know because last year I think many walked away thinking marriage was like Ecclesiastes. <laughs> meaningless, meaningless, like marriage is meaningless, it's all miserable, it's all hard, um, which we don't intend to communicate entirely. Uh, no, but uh, positively, uh, so part of what we see the purpose of marriage in a scripture is it's actually meant to fundamentally be a picture of the gospel. So I think Stephen probably talked a good bit about this last week. Um, but the, God created man and woman, and he created the institution of marriage, not simply to make us happy, not simply that, so that we might find someone who could complete us or make us a better version of ourselves, um, but rather so that in this institution of marriage where two sinners come together and will often sin against one another greatly, we have an opportunity to display the gospel. We have an opportunity to teach the world how God has treated us in Christ. Um, and that's what marriage is meant to do, to depict that and to portray that to the watching world. Awesome. Um, how is it often redefined? It's- Culturally. Yeah, I think it is a little bit more. Marriage is a is a function of of affection, um, and so the the sort of the foundation is: Are you feeling it? Um, is the person meeting my needs? Are they completing me? Are we fully compatible in all the ways we determine compatibility? And we think about that as opposed to a set of covenant promises that we make to one another and mean to fulfill with one another, because our God is a promise making, promise keeping God. So, Aaron, thinking about roles in marriage, what is the meaning of headship and submission in the Bible, uh, and how, how can that be often misunderstood? Well, what's a hard thing is that in the culture that we live in today, we live and breathe so many misconceptions of what headship and authority and submission and response look like. But I think we always have to start and end in the Word of God. If we believe that it's inerrant and infallible, we have to start there. And the word submission is in the Bible. It is a good word. It's not a bad word. But we've become allergic to it because of so much that it's out there. Uh, But understanding what submission looks like today is tough because of so many bad models I think that we've seen and also so many misconceptions that are held out uh, particularly within social media and um, in movies and in books Uh, there is as Brad said more of a feelings oriented so if I'm not feeling it uh, then I don't have to respond to it but there are oftentimes in marriage when we 
move forward in obedience when our feelings are not matched up with that. And I think we see that also in parenting. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic because it begins with a man and a wife, and then you have children, and then it's so funny because you watch the same thing happen. Uh, If they don't feel like obeying, they don't want to obey, right? And I think as women, we uh, have had our own fair share of frustrations, I think, historically through the years, sure. But I think within Christian marriages, we can see the gospel lived out in the way God oriented man and woman. And he created man first, and he created woman to be that helpmate. What is a helpmate? It's not somebody who sits under him. I mean, I don't know if you know the Matthew Henry quote where it's he didn't make him above or below, but took him from his side to be next to him, the companion. But somebody has to lead. You know, it's, if it's like if you're hiking and you've ever been in a one-lane track, somebody has to go first. And I think if you look at it like that, it's not that they're better. They're just somebody's got to lead and take the branches and the thorns first so they can push them out of the way so the woman can walk behind. If you want to look at it like that, there's so many different pictures I think we can give to that that make it look glorious and not oppressive because submission really is a wonderful gift from God. It's not something to be loathed or uh, excused. I think as Christians, oftentimes we try to excuse submission. Um, There's a lot you can find of good resources on it. Piper has a great piece in TGC if you want to look at what it is and what it's not. Um, I think some of the main things, it's not oppressive. It's not living in fear. Um, It's not being squelched. It's not being not considered. I mean, you speak. It's not that we don't speak as women. Uh, I think that when husbands lead well, there's affirmation, there's counsel sought, there's counsel considered. But from a personal experience, I can tell you there have been moments that have been hard uh, when we, I know, can you believe it? I have a couple examples, but it was, I, was, I was praying about which one to all share. Right. All right, all right, all right. Which, which, which example would be most edifying? <laughs> oh, you go ahead and just go into all those examples. I know. No, but I know exactly. Um, I think all of us can because why? Why? Because sin exists in the world. We're two sinners that have come together and we're messed up and we need Jesus. And I think if we always hold the gospel out in front of us, there is always hope. So there's no need to sit in the despair of this is never going to get better or it's always going to be like this. Uh, there, Yes, there have been moments. There have been moments where submission was a wonderfully beneficial thing. So for one positive example, uh, Brad, when we first came to CHBC, he's like, this is where we're going to go, to Capitol Hill Baptist Church, where we came from. And it was a very different environment for me, and I was not really looking forward to joining that church. I cried in the pew the entire service. And then I cried three and a half years later leaving because I didn't want to leave those people that had become my family. And Brad led in that decision, and I am so grateful. It took a while. It wasn't immediate, so don't ever think that. I said three and a half years later. Okay. Um, and then I think uh, more of a negative but positive example would be we made some decisions, and I counseled very strongly against some decisions that had to do with finances, for example. And it was really rough, and um, we actually had to go down before we could come back up. So I had to let Brad fail, if you will. And I think if there's one thing I can tell women 
who will, Lord willing, someday be wives, for those of you, is to let them fail sometimes because it is in trial that we learn the most about what it means to be sanctified. You are not their fixer. The Lord is. So they are a gift from the giver. You are to love the giver most. You are not to idolize the gift that he's given you and your spouse. You aren't to fix them. You aren't to rearrange them. But you are to continually pray for them, love them, and uphold their leadership that they have for you because that leadership is a gift from God. Great answer. (laughs) (laughs) She writes my sermons. What can I say? (laughs) Wait, I forgot. I forgot my favorite quote. Wait, wait. I have one quote. Okay, so you're going to really laugh because if you were here last year um, with some of the things we were saying. In the book that that's from? Yeah. Do you know what book this is? Mm -hmm. This is Elizabeth Dodd's book on um, Sarah Edwards, but the title of the book is Marriage to a Difficult Man. And I just don't appreciate the title very much, but, but... I think that the book is glorious because if I want to be a wonderful ministry wife, I would want to be Sarah Edwards. She was amazing, but she was amazing because she was also married to an amazing man as well who loved the Lord. It wasn't an easy marriage if you read through it, which is why, hence the title of the book. But there is this one quote that I love that I feel like holds out submission to headship really well. It says, Though this relationship required more than does an attachment to a tamer man, Sarah had unusual compensations. Her husband treated her as a fully mature being, as a person whose conversation entertained him, whose spirit nourished his own religious life, whose presence gave him repose. For the first time of his highly charged marriage, Sarah bloomed. And husbands, that is quite the charge for you. That's helpful, Aaron. Thanks. Um, how would you all counsel those longing to be married uh, but are still single? How would you counsel them? I'll jump in. Um, first, I would say just as, as marriage, like in the married for God, our purpose in life is to glorify God. And if we recognize that as the, the main point, we can do that whether we are married or not. And so just to, just to kick us off with that, I'll, I'll keep it short. But ultimately, strive, even in your singleness right now, to be uh, growing in your Christ-likeness and growing uh, towards glorifying God. I'll add a little bit to that. Um, I think learning contentment in any season. I think a lot of people think that once you get married, you're content all of a sudden. But we probably all know lots of marriages where they're not content in their marriage. So I think just learning contentment in the season you're in, there will be lots more seasons in your life besides singleness that you struggle with discontentment. So. Anything else? All right. You got it. Um, so how can someone determine whether or not they're ready to be married? How would they determine whether or not they're ready to be married? Howard, looking like you want to go. Uh, okay. <laughs> it's his. No. Are you ready? Okay. I said, uh, uh, basically, I said, do you love others more than you love yourself? And when you look at Matthew six fourteen, where Christ said, said, uh, if you, if if you forgive, the Father will forgive you. If you don't, Father won't forgive you. And that that's kind of the the basis of marriage there's going to be a lot of forgiveness 
Uh, and if that's not there, then you're probably not ready to be married. Uh, there's some things that, that happen that you're not going to anticipate. Uh, things that, th as Aaron said, she talked about letting Brad fail. Uh, that happened many times in our marriage. And, uh, and, it, and it's not different from either side. Sometimes, sometimes you have that, uh, you have those opportunities or, or you're presented with those uh, situations where uh, you both have to lay down your preferences uh, and allow your spouse to blossom or fail, uh, depending on the situation. Uh, kind of what uh, Amy was saying, I had a verse here, First uh, Thessalonians 5.16, it says, for the this is like for the person who's single and longing to be married. It says, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So the point of contentment, I think, was a, is a real thing for being single, but um, so often, um, you know, the culture says, well, if you're not married by the time you graduate from college, you know, you have, the culture has certain uh, timelines on when you need to do things, and that's not necessarily maybe going to hold for everybody. Uh, one is, do you respect him enough to submit to his leadership? Because, it, well, one is, is the person you're looking for going to be a Christian person? So right there you have some, some boundaries that you need to be staying within. Uh, do you respect him enough uh, to submit to his leadership? And can you deny yourself and consider yourself to be a helper and a companion, uh, not a person who is going to critique him or try to change him? Because more often than not, that does not change him. Uh, and uh, so I think those are the, probably the main things for uh, remaining single or being single and being happy in it. I think one other thing to consider is that um, sometimes we want to get married because we are the la we feel like the last standing single person. You may not feel that now, but when age goes up and creeps up and you the big 3-0 hits and then you're in your mid-30s as a single person, there's a sense of loneliness that can settle in. But let me tell you that I've known many a lonely married person. So it is much better to wait upon the Lord's timing and be lonely outside of marriage than to be sad and lonely inside of marriage because we've made a foolish and hasty decision. One of the goals, actually, I want to open it up to you all. So questions from you all uh, for them. Questions for you all. Do you all hear the question? I think it's pretty much did we feel God leading us in this or were we largely seeking personal gratification? Yeah. I think it's often a mix, like just, you know, we're sinners and so we can be compelled by godly motivations and yet mixed in with that is a lot of sinful things. So I, don't, I didn't have the foggiest idea, frankly, of what biblical marriage was when I got married. So I didn't grow up with Christian parents. Um, we weren't in a really good church. We didn't have any premarital counseling. And it was like the recipe for utter disaster. And the first year, yes, the first year was tough. So I think I actually looked at it assuming marriage would bring that 
um, that sense of completion. It was, it was that thing that was going to enable me to be like the better version of me. Uh, and I learned that it revealed all the worst things about me. So, yeah. So it was a little bit of both. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. Uh, well, for, my, for me, in answer to that question, I was, at that time, older, <laughs> at 26. So I'd already been through uh, my bachelor's, my graduate program, and I'd been working. And I met Howard when I was single. We were single professionals. So by that time, I was sort of tired of steak in a movie, you know, kind of just dating uh, for the sake of dating, which is not necessarily the wisest thing to do. And, uh, but I think by that time, I had kind of, and I dated young men that would not have made uh, uh, the right kind of a mate for me, maybe not even considered whether or not they were a Christian person, which was, you know, very dangerous to do that. That's why I was saying a while ago to stay in the bounds, you know, to be looking for a Christian person, and if you can't find that person, keep looking, <laughs> you know, um, don't marry for the sake of marriage or sex or you know, affection or whatever, you know, some of those more, you know, uh, physical type things. But uh, for me, I've always been kind of a checklist person. So by the time, <laughs> so it's like, okay, does he have a good job? Check, CPA. Does he go to church? Check. He went to church with me when we were single. So we went to church together as a single couple. Um, do we like the same things? Check. We both like to uh, water sports. We like to water ski. We love sports. I could do as much sports as anybody, know the rules, all that good stuff. Check. So, you know, I think you kind of need a checklist in my mind. You know, uh, are you physically attracted to him? Check, check. So, <laughs> all the things the elders don't know. <laughs> And in, in thinking about the checklist, though, uh -huh. there, you know, in thinking about checklists, these kinds of things, uh, negotiable, non-negotiables, right, wow. is kind of what, how to think about them. Yes, that's but a good point. there is a priority to those, <laughs> yes. right? Yes. It's not just, Howard's a CPA, all right, right. right. he's good to go, <laughs> right? So I think it'd be helpful in thinking through just priorities. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, and negotiable, I think the fact that we were, we were, here's one of the priorities, big one, we were raised the same way. We were both raised, not that it can't work if you're not, but we were both raised in the Baptist church, so we had all the same kind of background, and that was very important to me. And from the time I was probably 14 or 15 to even think about, you know, a mate, which young girls do, uh, I was praying for a Christian family and home. I was praying for a Christian man. And so I think you need to do that. And that needs to be, you know, the priority that he will be the spiritual uh, head of the house because um, not everybody wants to be yeah. even if they're another Christian person they may not want to lead spiritually yeah so and to hit on Abby's question uh, again I, I think I mean obviously all this is good but just to continue to build on that uh, the question of being like did I pursue Amy in marriage only solely because I felt like that was the most glorifying thing that I could do God glorifying thing I could do I don't think that's necessarily the case and that in, as, all, as I kind of mentioned earlier, if our goal is to glorify God, and that's what he's created us to do um, in life, there's a lot of different options uh, that we'll have, like where are we going to go to lunch after church today? 
I'm not necessarily thinking, what is the most glorifying, like God-glorifying thing I could do? Sometimes I'm just making a decision. And, and in some scenarios, it's like if you feel called, you know, feel attracted to somebody, you sense um, that type of attraction to them, you see those characteristics in them, you decide to get married. It's not necessarily like you're, if you do or don't, that you're sinning or not. Um, you, can, you have that sort of freedom in, in your Christian walk. I think increasingly, more and more, you want to be attracted to their godly character, more and more. It's not saying that physical attraction uh, has, no, like is, is, you know, has no importance at all, or physical attraction is ultimate, uh, but I think it's, it's important, but more and more, you want to increasingly be attracted to godly character, for sure. Um, another question, and state your name whenever you ask the question, and then also restate the question whenever, whenever you all get it and answer. Another question from you all. Hayden. This is what our marriage looks like all the time. <laughs> no, I think it's going to look different for every couple, right? I think so. Part of what the husband's called to do is wash uh, his wife with the word, and so that has to be an element of their marriage. There were seasons in which we would try to do Bible study together, and it didn't really work out so well. Just because, you know, I would study and reflect and want to go particular directions and ask questions, and she'd look at me like, okay, you know, and then she'd go. And it was just, we learned, like, you know, what part of what we need to do is spend some time alone in the Word and pray, and then circle back and talk together about the things we're learning, about the things we're challenged about. Um, and that, that has worked better for us. I mean, when it comes to kids, I try to do devotions with the kids at 6.30 in the morning before they all go to school from 6.30, 6.45. And that tends to be... Yeah, it's not always both, special. Both yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not a morning person, and my kids are as bad as I am sometimes. But we f- prioritize it. We make it happen. And for the mornings where it felt like pulling teeth, you get the mornings where the conversation flows, and it's wonderful and natural. The other thing we've tried to do, and I've gone long seasons of not doing this well, some seasons where it has, is we try to be reading through Pilgrim's Progress together. So I try to read a few pages out loud. It's just a wonderful allegory of the Christian life. Uh, when Aaron's getting ready for bed, sometimes I'll just read. She does take a little longer. Yeah, so I'll just read. Simplified version of Pilgrim's Progress, I'm sure, whenever they were younger, is The Dangerous, uh, the dangerous Journey. Dangerous journey. Oh, yeah. Kids love that one. Yeah. Dangerous Journey. Yeah. It's a little spooky for the youngest, so. Yeah, the for real. Yeah. 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 I'd say for us, um, similarly, Amy and I usually spend time in the Word apart from one another. Um, maybe you could even say that a part of my way that I can lead in that is by just challenging us to get up earlier and earlier, and sometimes even earlier than we necessarily want to. Our goal is regularly to have some time, um, some time, uh, quiet time in the Word before the kiddos wake up, which sometimes is way earlier than we might want to be up. And so we have to consistently get up much earlier than that. And so then that's kind of what our mornings look like. And then every night we try to spend some time in the Word as a family, uh, reading, reading the Bible together, uh, discussing that, asking questions that you get some really great answers from four- and six-year-olds. Um, and then, um, yeah, spending some time in prayer as a family. That's kind of what it looks like for us. And it's, it's 
chaos. Don't have any like view of this picturesque family where everybody's sitting and listening to us read the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's not, it's not that way. They're like running on the couch. A lot of you, well, not a lot. Several of you have witnessed this. They're like running laps on the couch, and we have to pause and spank children in the middle. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's chaos. So but I think that one other thing, Hayden, to consider is um, the gift of the local church to your marriage, because that sermon that you hear every week, and this is not just because I'm married to the pastor, but this is actually something that benefited our marriage really early on as we'd come home and over lunch with whomever was with us. And for a lot of the young people that we would have sometimes around the table, if we had other friends of our kids come over, they're they're sitting there like, I don't know what the point of the sermon was. But it caused them, they know every time they come over, we're going to be talking about the sermon together. And it's a great way to to develop uh, them biblically, theologically, and and grow in their love for for the Lord and his word. Yeah. And to engage in preaching. Yeah. You know, when they're there to actually sit and listen, not just be like. They're there to listen too. Yeah. Yeah. Zone out, hang out on their phone. Um, one of the goals of marriage in Ephesians 5 is sanctification or, be, or becoming more like Christ. That's what sanctification is getting at. So how has marriage sanctified you all? How has it? I'm not even going to totally answer this question, but uh, a few years ago, I mean, I'd been married maybe like six or seven years, and I said, you know, I don't really feel like I've matured much over the past six or seven years. And Amy literally, like, died laughing. And, that, and, and so then we got to walk back through some of the ways that I had grown and matured uh, over the six, seven years. I think a lot of people in our culture view, like, your marriage, the, the day you get married is like the pinnacle of love and affection for your spouse. And when we're at weddings, I usually lean over to Michael and I'm like, I'm so glad that's not us. We've come so far. We've yeah. learned so much in the 10 years we've been married. So it's... Very sanctifying. I think you learn so much about your own sin and how selfish you are, and that's never fun to like look at yourself and think, "Wow, I'm so selfish and I'm a terrible person." And he's so nice to still love me through all this selfishness. Um, yeah, I mean, it's extremely sanctifying. I think one of the harder things that I didn't expect in marriage that I kind of thought through, like the roommate issues, like how do you fold the laundry, and if it's different, you might argue about that. I thought through all those things. Um, but if you, like, just have a roommate and it's not your spouse, you can peacefully cohabitate, right? You can, like, kind of learn to maneuver around those differences. But the point of marriage is being unified mm-hmm. in one. So I think that's yeah. one of the harder parts is learning yeah. to, like, work through the issues and move forward in unity, not just peaceful mm-hmm. cohabitation. Yeah. Howard? One of the things that, practically speaking, of goals and how do you sanctify is as you live together and as your your lives unfold, uh, if you can be a constant encouragement, uh, you know, in putting your preferences aside, you know, to support your spouse, and that's in all aspects of life, in in, in career uh, as well as child rearing how your church involved, what ministries do you, the, the, that encouragement uh, as well as sometimes you have to put your preferences aside for uh, to, to, to be as one in Christ. Um, Christ is always the center. Uh, I was going to use that later, but I'll use it now. We call, Treva is always used, it's called a triple braided rope where Christ is in the center, uh, where you're... Uh, 
where, where you are trying to act as one. And that takes encouragement, that takes laying your preferences aside, uh, it takes being supportive uh, in what you're doing as a man and wife. Ecclesiastes. And when there's two, you know, it's easy to pull one down. It's not quite so easy to pull one up. But when Christ is the center, not that anything's going to be easy necessarily, but it is your marriage is going to be much stronger and there's going to be unity. Mm -hmm. yeah. Michael and Amy, looking back, uh, what helps prepare you well for marriage? And how are some of your expectations reoriented whenever you got married? <coughs> Um, I think one of the really cool things about uh, our marriage is just getting to see the picture of how being a part of UBC has influenced it so dramatically. Um, we had the privilege of being discipled by uh, people in this church uh, all the way from early on in our relationship all the way into dating, engagement, premarital counseling. We got married here. We've been here our whole lives and we've had the assistance of the local church to pour into us even as we're trying to figure out what marriage looks like, what parenting looks like, things of that nature. And so um, in, immensely helpful to have the local body pouring into us the entire time, um, being discipled in the body, learning what it looks like to be meaningful members here uh, as individuals and then, and then as married couples. I'm a studier, so I'd read lots of books before we got married. That was very helpful. Um, and I think just being around other married couples, and I would suggest or recommend if y'all see people that you know and you respect their marriage, invite yourself over to their house for dinner or something. People aren't, I mean, people are not going to be offended. Ask yourself over for dinner and just spend time with the people and get to know them. Ask them good questions. I don't think that can't, nobody's going to be offended if you ask deep personal questions. So that's my advice. Seriously, as we were kind of discussing this morning over the past week or so, Amy regularly was like blowing my mind with how much knowledge and wisdom she's got in her head uh, that is regularly put into practice in our life. But, um, I mean, yeah, so the idea of spending time with her is, would be super. I'm just saying. I'm recommending the person that I'm closest to here. I recommend getting time with Amy. Um, and you're going to have to now play like gatekeeper. We've got it. Yeah. Yes, that's right. That's right. And so in that, as you're thinking through like spending time, you know, spending time with someone who might be retired, empty nested is going to look different than somebody that has three kids, six, four and one right here. And so uh, maybe not asking them out to go to coffee in the middle of the day, which is not possible for a homeschool mom, but maybe thinking, how could I inter interject myself or help? During the day, how can I help you even in homeschooling your kids, whatever that might look like? How can you just kind of fold into the family? Um, and, and that is probably one of the best ways that I can recommend doing that. Yeah. Amy, some of the books that uh, you would recommend, even that you've read, In Preparation for Marriage. Tim Keller's The Meaning of Marriage, huge. I'm blanking. I'm on, I mean, being totally okay. honest. We've been married okay. 10 years. <laughs> 
I cannot think of like the most influential books. There's probably newer, better books out there than what I read 10 years ago, yeah. just to be honest. Right. I mean, can I plug a book? We've really come a long way with that. Okay, so this one is actually, if this is, Did I Kiss Marriage Goodbye? Um, written by Carolyn McCauley. She's actually still single. The Lord never had for her to be married. Um, she writes beautifully about preparing for marriage, but what if the spouse never comes? And here she is, I think it's 15, 20 years later, and she's still not married. But she lives a life, an exemplary single woman life. And she walks through Proverbs 31 and how it applies to the single woman. So I would really encourage you to take this. This is a great resource. Howard and Treva. Hey, wait, been... let me... Let okay. me give a book reference. Howard Let's and I go. taught, uh, we were introduced to the f five languages of love, the yep. love languages yep. here at the church at one point, and we shared it with a couple who was getting married, and truthfully, I never really <laughs> picked that knowledge out, what was Howard's love language, yeah. you know, and trust me, yours is not going to be the same as his normally, no. you know, so a person of gifts, a person of doing, a person of, I can't remember what all five of them, anybody else? Time, give time. Uh, yeah. So that's a good book, just to kind of be looking at kind of what are the, what, you know, what is it about him? Uh, because you could go years and go, well, why doesn't he, you know, do this for me to show me love? Well, that's not the way he shows love. So that was a good one, I think. Yeah. So staying with Howard and Treva, uh, what have been the greatest joys and challenges for you all in marriage? Give us the easy one. <laughs> you want me to go first? Okay. Well, I think Treva alluded to it earlier. You know, greatest joys is, you know, we have, when we got married, we have a lot of common interest. Uh, we enjoy doing things together. Uh, we, we, we enjoy conversations together. We enjoy having a good meal together. Uh, and the conversations that come from that. Uh, uh, we also uh, enjoy activities. She mentioned that before. Uh, you know, we also enjoy the intimacy of marriage. Uh, that's, that's always been a joy for us. Uh, and so, um, and then how we, how we have tried to serve together not necessarily creating our own ministry, but we've also, we've always tried to be intentional in thinking about how we serve the local church uh, and how we do that. We try to do that together. Sometimes it doesn't work that we do it together, but we're tr we try to at least c have a conversation about it, about how that, how we can support each other in that, because we don't necessarily want to, we have, tried to be intentional and not necessarily letting do one of us chase this and the other one chase that is so we can be so we can be together on that but I think the other thing is just for example uh, Howard worked you may not believe this in the creepers for like 18 years I mean for like 18 for like eight years so what's a work. what's a creeper their creeper is an 18 because you know can, you know I mean something different in the yeah. nursery he worked in the nursery yeah the creepers worked in the creepers um, <laughs> so wait so, so a creeper is what is it 18 to 24 months at least that's that mm. was the tag when all he right. was there back when he was so that wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do because I was working with children <laughs> all week anyway so we have had you know where where our strengths are different 
we have served in different areas. And that's not, you know, what Howard was saying. It's great if you can serve together, and we've done that too. Uh, but I think one of the greatest challenges for us has been finances. And I think that's going to be a challenge for most marriages. Money is what? Always attention. Oh, yeah. Did I, am I stealing your thunder here? Uh, yeah, money is always attention. And uh, Howard's a CPA, and I never even looked at was my check that came for my lunch, was it correct, ever. And when we went out on a date, and he was like checking the check. Yeah, the restaurant check. He's, he's like looking at it to see, you know, and I'm like, He's checking. What's he doing? You know, <laughs> why is he doing that? Oh, you mean they get it wrong sometimes? You know, so um, but I think finances has been one of those things because once you also, the, for me, once you get out in the world and you are a professional person and you have your own money and you're used to spending your own money the way you want to, then to come under the leadership of someone else and, um, you know, try to stay in a budget and do those kind of things that you need to do, you know, I think that that was maybe one of the main tensions for me. It's been 44 years and we still don't have that right, so. Constantly learning, yeah. Uh, Brad and Aaron, it may be helpful for you all as well to speak into this. You're marrying a sinner, so how do you go about resolving conflict in marriage? I'm going to take the mic, okay. Um, I think the first thing we need to re remember is that um, God gave us in his word a couple of examples of how he loves us. Um, one of them is the church, and uh, one of them is marriage. And so we are, as married couples, representation to the world of how Christ loves his church, loves his bride. Uh, and so we are walking around basically with a target on our back once we get married. Um, we always are as believers, but particularly when we say, I do, because we are uh, fodder for the Satan's attacks, if you will. And we are also have the ability to be a gospel witness. So when spiritual attacks come, they often come right at a husband and a wife simply because it will destroy the gospel witness to the watching world. So remember that your, your marriage is not just about you. It never will be just about you. Um, the minute you hold on to that, you've lost it. Uh, it in, and so like we're talking about the fact that it's not to complete you, it's for your holiness. So if it's for your holiness, of course there's going to be conflict because it's through those trials that we grow and are sanctified. And the one who began a good work in us will, will work it out until completion. And some of that is going to be through the friction of marriage. And so don't always run from that. See it and embrace it as a gift that it is in order to sanctify you. Um, I, the only gospel opportunity I've been able to have at work wasn't because of whatever conversations were had. It was because people were following my Facebook and Instagram posts and wanted to know why my marriage was happy. They couldn't understand why I could be so joyful after 20 years of marriage. And so remember that people are watching when you're married because how you live your life to the watching world, not in a fake way, but in a real way. People are not dumb. They know when it's true love for another person. But that laying down of your preferences, Howard said it a couple times, but understanding that it's not what you want, it's how you can bless and love another person. That is what we are called to in the Christian life. We are told to take up our cross daily. What does that look like for you as a single person? And what does that look like to you as a married person? Um, and I think... It's Dave Harvey who said, what we believe about God determines the quality of our marriage. 
So if you're having a lot of conflict, you might need to go check yourself. What do you think about God? What, do you feel like you deserve something? Is that what this is about, that God owes you something? You might have something wrong about who God is and all of that. So just remember that. Your theology matters. Good word. Basically, if we're going to be thinking this morning in Ecclesiastes, what it looks like to fear God. And at the end of the day, um, you work through conflict by recognizing that the point in this conflict is not to get your way. It's not to say that thing that proves you're right. It is, okay, how... Oh, gosh, you want to. Particularly because I'm, I'm always confident I'm right, and yet she's a better, actually, she argues better than I do. So I think you do. I think you do. She took one of those aptitude tests. Great quality tests to have, Aaron. She was supposed to be, she was supposed to be an attorney. She was supposed to be an attorney. Um, so all that to say, yeah, but the point I just got to remember is, okay, it's not defend myself. It is to put myself out and to see that reconciliation takes place and that I help her grow in Christ which means I won't say things I want to say, and there are times when I don't want to speak where I need to speak. And that's part of what sanctification looks like. Uh, questions from you all, uh, to any of them? Yeah, state name, and then restate question. speak to that so so husband's passivity yeah so when a husband is passive and a wife feels like she needs to step in to help train spiritually the children is that what you're speaking most specifically the child rearing part of it Um, that is where I feel like we have a responsibility as mothers to be instilling truth I mean we see it all at Timothy you know it's like you learn that on your grandmother in your mother's lap Um, women need to be in the word, about the word, speaking of the word, all about the word. Um, And that is not necessarily dependent on on the husband. I will say that much because many a husband have left for battle, have left for mission work, have left for business. And that doesn't, um, cause the wife to have to always be waiting upon the husband for that. I think uh, it is a sad notion that that is more the case today, and I agree with you on that, than it ever has been. But again, that is where having brothers that will come alongside a husband in that to basically kick them in the pants and say, you're failing, brother. You need, you need to step up in your role to train these children and to, and to shepherd your wife. Um, but that is not the wife's role to then say that to her husband. She can lovingly come to him, and this is that goes back to that submission idea. She can lovingly approach him and say, I'm concerned for the well-being of our children. Um, and I have, Brad saying I can say it because I've had to have some, we've had some really hard, I mean, sobby tears over some failures with parenting over the years. And I have spoken my claim multiple times and it fell on deaf ears and things didn't happen and something bad happened because of it. But again, or what do we think about who God is as a woman? Who do I think God is? Do I think God didn't know? Do I think God didn't have purpose in that? I mean, all of that was to groom him, to grow him to fill in that gap. Do you think he wants that to happen again? No. Did it take that? Maybe. 
maybe. I mean, we look at David in the Bible. I mean, he wasn't exactly the, the best father there ever was. Look at what happened with Absalom. You know, so there are a lot of things that are in our control and a lot of things that are outside of our control. And we have responsibility, yes, but there is God's sovereignty as well. And those two things marry each other. So the wife, be faithful to what you can do. Don't grab for what's not yours. I'd say that, you know, there's going to be a temptation for everyone to kind of err either on a, uh, in towards passivity or towards like an over-domineering mindset. And so I would say that I'm one of those that uh, is more prone to being passive than anything else. And so that's something that I constantly have to repent of. Um, and so that's, you know, it's just a life of repentance that we're called to lead, and that's one of the areas that I, I have to constantly be focused on just to be totally transparent there. But um, also, you know, as uh, Paul charges the, the fathers in the church to raise their children in a godly way, in that same sense, like, as we work together, Amy just crushes it when it comes to raising and discipling our children. And so... Um, even even when I'm there or when I'm not, if I'm passive or if I'm not, I can count on Amy is going to be discipling our kids. She regularly is pouring the word into them, helping them memorize scripture, catechizing them. I mean, it's just, it's awesome to watch. So, um, but yeah, and so I'd say that, that in her role, she she supports either either way in, in raising kids. Yeah, I think it's a reminder as well. You know, whenever you... Lord willing, if you were to get married and have jobs and that kind of thing, that when you come home, it's not kind of like time off. You know, it's not like, well, I can just kind of sit back and, you know, they can do everything else. But you're just as much engaged. Part of the sacrificing is the fact that you set your face like Flint to do your work all day long, and then you get home, and you've got to go back to work. You kind of don't ever stop working until you fall asleep, uh, to be honest with you. And so I think that Part of speaking against the passivity is just to know that you're to sacrifice. That's the beauty in the picture of marriage is to sacrifice like Christ sacrificed for his bride. And so you ought to be sacrificing, even just giving up your personal wants and preferences when you get home to love and care for your family well. You're always on, constantly. Yeah, Yeah, I think part of the command in Genesis 2.15 to the, to the husband to work and to watch over you know, for me, not growing up in a Christian home, I assumed like the primary way I provided and cared was to work really hard. And I kind of had that down, um, but I did come home to some degree or another and be like, okay, now like I've spent myself all day. And, and without kids, it was one thing. With kids, all of a sudden, it just became that much harder. <laughs> um, but part of what it means to work and to sort of till the soil of the field you've been given is to be working in her heart, but then to be equally adept in the hearts of your kids. And that's what husbands are called to be. And there are times in which some of that work will obviously take place with the wife, but the husband absolutely has to be a part of that. So last night, working on the sermon, it's late, and there were some issues with the kids. And I assure you, at that moment, I was thinking, the sermon is too long, I need to finish, it's late, I need to get this done, and yet I had to stop and have some good, hard conversations. And I think that's what it means to be a father. Yeah. At midnight. midnight. It was at midnight. Teen yeah, years. teen years. They're at midnight. Really <laughs> and, I don't, and I often don't do that well, but it was one of those moments where I thought, I've, like, I've just got to put it down, and I've got to walk away, and I've got to look some kids in the eye, and we've got to talk. And you won't always succeed at that. No. You know, right? And so you just need to, you've got to be gracious with yourself. Yeah. Uh, Another question from you all? All right. Jacob. 
dividing household labors and production. I think one thing that's all just how do you go about dividing household laborers? I think one thing that's just good for, for good for us to note is that sometimes what we deem as like duties of males and duties of females are not biblically driven but culturally driven. So even think like food preparation. Like if you're Japanese, that's what men do. Like you can't be in a formal Japanese sushi restaurant. There are no women behind the counter. It's not appropriate. It's not right culturally. So I think that's a good reminder sometimes because we walk in assuming like maybe women do certain things and men do certain things. I do think as a husband is charged to work and to watch over, like if there's a suspicious noise, it's probably better that I don't hit her and be like, hey, go check it out, you know. Um, but beyond that, like and sort of those kind of things, but we just, we talk about it and we come to some terms and agreements. And I could get more specific, but that's largely how we work through it. This has changed a lot season to season, so yes. we don't have like hard, fast things that we each do, but it, depending on our capacities, it changes. It's teamwork. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the reality is when I got married, I didn't know the difference between a Phillips head and a flathead. I'm dead serious. It was that bad. So when, when blinds went in, guess who was with the drill? It was my wife. Yeah. So, like, yeah, I should have known the difference. Like, I needed to learn. I'm not, it's not confident to me I was utterly failing as a husband, though it certainly feels like it. And I didn't know how to cook a thing. Barely, barely orange juice. How, do you, how many cans do you put of water you put in the orange juice? But Howard, Howard, was, Howard knew how to cook. He still cooks. He enjoys it. And I just let him do it. <laughs> Which I think, even in just discipleship, it's always great whether you're a guy or you're a woman. Like you're, One great thing about discipleship is being able to enter into somebody's life to le- begin to learn those things now. It's, that can be so, so helpful to do that. Yeah. One of the things is just recognizing what has to be done. Uh, I mean, there's not necessarily everyone has, no, that's her role. No, if it needs to be done, just do it. I mean, that's part of kind of how we don't necessarily, we don't necessarily have a checklist. (laughs) 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 But we do recognize what, chores have to be done around the house or what has to be done and uh, try to try to just take care of it as it comes up and one of the things that Brad talked about and that was and it was one of the early on when it's thinking about roles of marriage and what is the meaning of headship uh, just just the the way God has put us together as men uh, we are we are just inherently providers protectors uh, and one of those examples was, and I don't remember if you guys remember the shooting in Denver from the, the crazy guy that came in and shot up the theater in Denver. Uh, there were specifically three examples of men who immediately threw their bodies in front of the women they were with. Uh, I mean, that's just in our DNA to be protectors. Uh, and so that's just one of the creations, creations of God. Whenever he created man, he created man to be a protector uh, and a provider. So th- those roles are, are ones that we have inherently, but we can also filter them through the word of God on how, how that happens. It doesn't mean we're in charge. It just means that's what, that's what we're called to do. Yeah. Uh, last question right here. What should be the church's role in your marriage, and in what ways has membership in a local church helped your marriage? You know. 
So what should be the church's role in your marriage, and in what ways has membership in a local church helped your marriage? In ours, when we got married, Teresa said we were, we were attending church together. We had examples of good marriages in our in church. Our church. Uh, we also had parental, we had parental examples from both of our, both of our parents. Um, and then we took advantage of the training that's available in the, in the local church, and we also had we also had mentors. Uh, we had a we had a couple that their their name was Sam, Sammy and Raleigh Rhodes. Uh, Sammy has passed away. Raleigh is still is is still around. He was an ear, nose, and throat specialist, uh, and they were just great mentors to us as we were getting married and after we were married. We, uh, we did have the, the privilege of spending a lot of time with uh, older members of the church that had been married for a while that uh, discipled us and kind of poured in, into us a lot. And, but when Amy and I talk about like, things that we m- might regret from early, either in our dating, engaged, or early married years, is that we didn't do that enough. We wish that we would have spent more time folding our lives into th- those lives of those that had uh, gone before us that could pour into us because now there's so many times where I'm just like what are we supposed to do in this situation I wish I would have seen this before or been taught this and if I would have spent more time with people with kids I probably would have gotten to see more examples of it for example so make yourself known I think that would be one of the things I would say with the the body exists for all of us to be able to I encourage one another. We're to weep with those who weep. We're rejoice with those who rejoice. And what does that look like? It looks like last night I'm getting a text at 11.38 p.m. from a sister whose marriage is struggling to no end. Will you please pray right now? Right now, I need your prayers. And she can do that because she knows that I know her, I know of her, and they, we were never meant to walk the road alone ever so it's not just you two against the world like every great movie will tell you it's all about your affections it's about you both looking forward at the lord and moving that way with a whole group of believers that you've linked arms with on your way to heaven grabbing as many people as you can through evangelism and sharing um, to get that way to heaven yeah i think another good principle as well is that as a christian your life isn't it's not private it's personal, but it's not private. It's very public uh, before others. And I think one of the things is that oftentimes when we get in marriages, or, and no matter what age you are, you think that your marriage is private, right? It stays under this roof. We don't share that with other people. Now, there's some things that obviously are private that you're not just going to be going out blurting out to everybody, okay? That's just the reality. But in terms of how your marriage is doing, the church ought to be informed of how you're doing uh, in your marriage. That's why we need discipling relationships. No matter if you're married, no matter if you're single, whatever you are, you need discipling relationships, and those ought to be brought before other people so that you can get accountability for that. And if stuff's on the rocks and you need help and it's going south, you need to talk to the elders and, and speak to the elders about getting help and doing that and getting counseling and doing that. And so I think that's always a great reminder uh, is to never think that your marriage is private in that sense uh, because it is very much public because you are Christians. Um, and it's to be personal, yes, but public before and lived out before other believers as well. So. Y'all, thank you so much for serving us so well. We appreciate it. And uh, yeah, it's been a blessing to to have you up here. If you all have more questions or just want to get to know them a little bit better, feel free to chat. I know we're close on time right here, but even feel free to try to get with them, you know, throughout the week and at some point uh, while you're in college. It'd be great too. All right. Let me go ahead and pray for us and then we will be done.
Father, we praise you uh, for the gift of marriage and how it's a picture of the gospel that we get to proclaim to the world, to the watching world, the glories of Jesus Christ, sacrificing uh, himself as a, as a sacrifice for his bride and winning for himself a bride and making her spotless and without blemish. Lord, we praise you for that picture. Lord, we pray that, Lord willing, any marriages that happen in here and, Lord, the marriages that are in here, Lord, that, that, would, that these marriages would increasingly reflect the glory of Christ in the gospel. Lord, we pray that you would uh, continue to help us think upon these things and that we would go and seek counsel and seek uh, discipling relationships at how to better prepare and engage uh, in our relationships with one another and in particular in, in those relationships that lead to marriage. Lord, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.